0: Hey, guys, it's Jack from the Champions Playbook. These next three episodes are super interesting. We had Ryan from Monday Q Info come on the show and talk about what it's like for Monday qualifiers to make it on the PGA Tour. We had him over Zoom on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. So hopefully you guys find some of these conversations impactful and insightful to what it's like to qualify on the PGA Tour as a Monday qualifier so I didn't know too much about it going in and Ryan is super knowledgeable about everything and his account has over 70,000 followers on Twitter so make sure to go and follow him on Twitter at Monday Q Info and hopefully you guys enjoy the episode here you go Welcome back to the Champions Playbook. Wow, what a week, what a week. And we still have Ryan here from Monday Q Info talking about some mini tour players and what it takes to make it to the PGA Tour, which I think a lot of people don't really understand because they just watch the guys play Thursday through Sunday rooting for the Tiger Woods, Justin Thomas's, Bryson DeChambeau's, Brooks Kepkas, but not a lot of people know about these small names that ended up making it big on the PGA Tour. So Ryan, uh, welcome for the third time here, and thank you so much for being on the podcast, man.
1: Yeah, thanks again, guys. Happy to be here. So I'm going to start
2: posing, this was not in the list of questions, but I think it kind of follows some of the Uh-oh. things we've been talking about, so... Um, is if we could flip the tables and all of a sudden have, since you brought up Brooks Kepka, Bryson, Rory, all those guys, have them come down into a Monday queue, how do you think it would play out? I mean, this is just theoretical, right? Like, they're currently playing well. I'm not talking about the guy that's, you know, lost his status and is going to go and play in these. The guys that are already playing well, like – I think it would be a legitimate battle for them to get through.
1: So I get this question a lot, and my answer is always this because I asked Brooks Kepka this question, and his answer is uh, four. His guess is that he wouldn't get through four Monday qualifiers in a season. There's 26 in a year. Um, So his his brother, his brother, yeah, his That's brother chase, chase, chase his Mondays, and so I had, yeah, I had a friend of mine ask him, and he was like, yeah, I don't know, four, they're hard, uh, and there's a couple things in play. It's eight, it's a different mentality. There's no tour player that goes out there thinking you have to shoot sixty four or sixty five. They play the middle of greens. They play somewhat conservative, uncertain courses. Obviously, scores on like the like the BMW 20 whatever 2800 got in the playoff, but like 68 on the PJ Tour is a good score. 68 in the Monday qualifier is useless. I mean, you have you have no shot. So, first of all, it's a mentality. Uh, second of all, the courses are not in great shape. These are like for the most part. Monday, Monday qualifying courses are like mediocre at at best. Usually, it's, they've gotten a little better, but for the most part, mediocre. Um, yeah, and it's it's a just a different mentality. Those guys don't live in an 18-hole world; uh, they live in a 72-hole world, and and it's just different. I mean, like, how often does someone go wire to wire on the PG Tour? It's almost never. So. Like 18 holes is just different. So his answer was four. So you don't have to believe me. Believe one of the best players in the world.
2: Yeah. I mean, that it's a sprint. Like it's a straight out sprint and it's firing at flags. It's like, um, we'll, we'll talk about this. I'm going to share some info with you as we go. Um, I've had some really interesting data on three data points and being able to predict outcomes after two rounds on PGA tour events. But like proximity is a big deal in those. Like, you can't leave yourself 25, 30 feet all day and expect a Monday Q. Like, it's just... Yep. You gotta get... Obviously, you got your par fives. You're basically gonna birdie or eagle some of those. But you, you gotta throw some serious darts in there for 18 holes to shoot 63.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just Monday... Or, I just caddy for Mark Baldwin, who's a Corn Fairy member. Now has to go back to Q school. But, um... We ended up getting into the Barracuda. But at the Barracuda Monday... If you played with Mark that round you would be like, oh this is a perfect round of golf. I mean he made seven birdies and no and we shot 65 and on the last hole we had a chip for Eagle and we thought uh, seven wasn't going to be enough. We thought eight eight was the number. So like that kind of gives you some insight. I mean he played a perfect round of golf made you know didn't do anything he wasn't supposed to. Made seven birdies, no bogeys, shot 65, and we didn't think it was enough. It ended up being a playoff. It really wasn't enough. We had to get in the playoff. But, like, go shoot 65 at, you know, at the bridge and walk in and go, yeah, that's probably not going to be good enough. That's, that's, uh, that's rough.
0: Yeah, that's, that's unreal, Ryan. Um, I was listening to I'm, – I'm sure you're familiar with the foreplay podcast with the Barstool Boys – and they were talking to Will Zalatoris, and, they were, and, and Will was talking about kind of his par 5 mentality, being like his scores completely changed when he just started firing at middle of greens on par 5s. And for some of these Q school guys, they literally can't afford to fire at the middle of that green. They need to make an eagle on those holes, especially because some of these, uh, these Monday Q courses, like I'm, I'm guessing some of these par 5s are very, very reachable for a lot of these guys. So you have to be able to be firing at flags the entire day. So like you said, a lot of these PGA Tour players, they live in a 72-hole world where these Q School players, they live in a, in a 65 world. They live in a I have to shoot a 65 in order to, to move on to the next stage. Um, I talked in the last episode about kind of handling that pressure, and it feels like now that we're talking about it more and more more and more, these key school guys actually it feels like they have the ability to deal with more pressure than some of these uh, PGA tour guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a whole different world. I mean, it just is so sudden and there's no tomorrow. so like I mean, I've catered in plenty of Monday qualifiers where you make the turn at even and you're like start talking about what you're doing, you know changing your flight and those kind of things. Like just, I mean, unless you go super nuclear on the back nine turning at a Monday qualifier even you're like relatively dead. So uh, it's just a hole in the world. Like it's basically uh, like when I can't even break it up into six whole segments, you know, you have to be a couple to three under each six, six whole segments. So you get on seven and you're even or one over, you're just like, what, you know, what am I doing here? And that's why you see a lot of withdrawals in Monday qualifiers. A lot of veterans are like, I'm not going to, you know, at the turn their the cards, like no point in playing the back nine. It's like, yeah, you got to He's not, he's not shooting 26 on the back nine. So he's like, I'm out of here.
2: Yeah. And the, that reminds me in the last, um, last chapter of my book that I wrote on core strategy and mindset. Um, I referenced a game I call the birdie game. I actually gave it to Austin, who I referenced earlier, um, and he was struggling. He'd shoot like really low under on the front nine, 30, 31, and then he'd shoot 40 on the back. When he first started shooting low, he's like, "How am I gonna do it?" I was like, "Dude, let's put it this way: I need you to make a birdie every four holes, and once you do that, make a birdie every three holes. Now, once you go through four holes, if you don't make a birdie in those four, you got to start over. You can't you can't keep playing the round. Go back and start over. The walk of shame, like." Go back to the first tee and play again, or if the tee sheets book, you got to wait till tomorrow. And so, first time he went out and did that, I believe he made eight or nine birdies. And so, like, it yeah. shifted the mindset of, you know, players get so worried about making bogeys. I was like, look, you got to know how to make a bunch of birdies to be able to play on the PGA Tour, whether that be to Monday Q to get in, or knowing at any moment you could make six birdies on the back. Like you'd be one or two over on the front and turn with six, like. You've got to get comfortable making a ton of birdies. You've got to get comfortable taking risk at the right time. It's not all about just data. Like, there are times to take a risk. You just got to know when to do that. But uh, no, that reminded me of that. That's great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, agreed. Which one? Sorry, looking at another question here. Um, where, wh- I mean, we've kind of talked around it. Like, based on. I see it from the teaching side, you see it from kind of the, the statistical, you know, studying side, what, like, where's the bar, like, where's the bar for them to jump, you have to be this tall to ride this ride, like, I, I think you have to have some history winning from a teaching standpoint, like, you have to have history of success, and, and a win doesn't always mean, uh, you know, winning every time you play, but, like. Where's the Where's the bar? Like,
1: it just- yeah. I mean, I always say Scott is like, uh, just win on every. You have to win on every level, and for most guys, that means like playing a one-day event with, you know, twenty-five guys on the West Florida Tour, right? And then, and then two days, and then the All-Pro Tour with one hundred and fifty. Like, you know, I think the golf just takes a long time to develop. And I think people get nervous, A, for money. They feel like they have to go to Q school, have to play the all-pro tour where, you know, it's 150 guys and the winner gets 25 grand. I just don't think you have to do it. It's totally okay to go to the West Florida tour and play in 25-man one-day events and be okay with that and develop from there. So, yeah, I think you have to learn to win. And, I mean, I think you also have to learn to lose because, as you know, Scott, I mean, there's just tons more downs in the game of golf than there is ups. And so to get your teeth kicked in on the West Florida Tour is okay uh, as long as you develop from there, you know. I think it's way more damaging. I think there's plenty of players that have gotten to the Corn Ferry Tour or the PGA Tour way too early, gotten their teeth kicked in and never recovered. whereas like no one no one cares that you got i mean like let's just use ty trion everybody knows ty trion right like if ty trion got to the pga tour at 25 instead of 19 or 18 whatever he was like what would his career look like i bet it was a lot better Mm -hmm. like he went in there and you know made one of 20 cuts or whatever that's tough to recover from everybody knows that you just got your teeth kicked in if he went to the west florida tour you know, no one would have known and he would have worked on his game and developed, you know, uh, he started doing way too much. Everybody's watching him. So play to your level and then move up is my advice and, and go from there.
2: Yeah, I actually see this a lot in junior golf. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't cross my mind. to think about it for tour level stuff, too, <clears throat> but is like parents are like, well, my kids got to play in the southeastern junior golf tour in order for them to get looked at, or the AJGA, or I've got to get stars from the HJGT to get on to the AJGA. It's like, if your kid doesn't learn how to win and be successful at a smaller level, and it's okay, like, some kids take longer, some get there faster. Uh, History shows that how kids do it at the U.S. Kids Worlds has zero bearing on their ability to be a world elite player. Um, So, like, that progress needs to be slow, steady, um, if it's fast and abrupt really early, a lot of times it turns out poorly down the road. So like, you've got to learn to win at lower levels and, and let it move slowly. Like a, like a stock market moves over 50 years, like let it move slowly. It's, it's just better that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you go to a Monday qualifier and you're going to see a lot of number one, uh, former number one ranked amateurs in the world. And, uh, I mean, so Amateur rankings, and you'll also see. I mean, uh, Joel Damon was ranked, he says it all the time like he got into the amateur rankings at one time was like 300 or 3,950th or whatever. Um, you know, I went to the Rocket Mortgage Monday qualifier and I walk up on the range and Norman Jong is there. Norman Jong was called by his own coach, Casey Martin, who's the coach at Oregon, the next Tiger Woods. And, uh, and uh, Norman, Zhang hasn't done, Norman Zhang hasn't done anything in this pro game. And, um, you know, it just doesn't have any bearing on it. It's just all there is to it. Uh, you have to win on every level. I mean, Norman got a huge contract from Callaway and walked out on the Porn Ferry Tour, and I think he made four cuts in 25 events or something like that. Um, I mean, there's plenty of number one amateurs working insurance. I promise you that. So... Uh,
0: Right, I got a question for you here. Um, talking about a guy, like let's just take this year's Rookie of the Year, Will Zalatoris, right? What does a guy like Will do to win a Rookie of the Year versus a guy who is super talented in a either a mini tour or a Q school or a Corn Fairy tour? W- what does that all look like to see? Uh, you know, what is what is Will's X factor in your eyes?
1: Yeah, I mean, Will. Great at every level he's ever played. He just, I mean, uh, I mean he's really good. Um, But I I think that opportunity. I mean, there's guys that do it, and his X factor is his ball striking. Obviously, he's like, I mean, he's not a very good putter. Um, I mean, for him, it's his ball striking. I think it's that's that's the thing about golf is there's so many variables uh I mean Will can't really putt and is like a top 30 player in the world um whereas you know it might be vice versa for someone else that's holding I mean Cameron Young didn't have any status Monday qualified now is on the PGA Tour um you know he's a great putter has a great short game his iron play is like okay so it's uh play to your strengths and and get better at your weaknesses and go from there. I mean, if Will was good, if Will ever becomes a good putter, he's going to be number one player in the world. and It's not going to be close.
0: Love that. Love that. Um, another question for you, just kind of following your journey in this kind of, uh, you know, you, you mentioned in the first podcast how you never really thought this was going to come to anything. What has it been? Because everybody who has one of these, you know, strong passions, what has it been like? What is your why around this Monday Q info? Uh, you know, Twitter account? What have you uh, learned from it yourself? And, and why do you stay with it? Because I feel like uh, just like Q School and and these mini tours are a grind. I imagine uh, following the grind is also a grind in its own right. Right. So so what is it about following these guys is so appealing to you and, and you keep on doing it for for, you know, as long as you have been?
1: Yeah, um, I'll get somewhat deep here, but yeah, I think there's a lot of value in doing something that you love. Um, I did not hate the restaurant business. I ran a group of restaurants. I didn't hate it at all. Um, and for three years, I didn't make any money doing this. My wife is a nurse and like we figured out ways to make ends meet. And it was the happiest I've ever been in my life. So uh, there's value in doing something you love. Uh, and I really just love the stories that I'm that I'm telling. Uh, I'm lucky enough with Fire Pit, they don't tell me any stories to tell. I tell whatever stories I want to. Um, that's what's worked to make this um, account a success, so I'm just going to continue to do that. So, I mean, I get to wake up, like, it really just give has given me a lot of perspective in life. I mean, Uh, I say it a lot on Twitter as I've grown. I've obviously gotten more trolls and those kind of things, but it's like I wake up and tweet about golf and that, and somehow get a paycheck for that every two weeks, which is absolutely insane. Um, So uh, if, if you can't like, if you can't uh, like wake up, I've been through my wife and I and and our son obviously has been through some stuff. You can't gain some perspective uh when your kid has brain surgery and you tweet about golf uh just like don't take yourself too seriously it's just like there's way more important things than that so it's been it's been awesome to do something that i love uh there's a ton of value in it um it ain't easy of course yeah i mean i didn't have i worked i was a bartender i went from running a group of restaurants to working at a uh, like a chain restaurant doing a tending to like make ends meet for my wife and I. So it wasn't easy, but I still got to go home, come home and tweet about golf. And like, it's ridiculous that I get a paycheck every. I just got paid today, which is insane.
2: <laughs> well, well, that's Chuck. Everybody here is uh, clapping for you, man. <laughs> I think, I think one of the things that, you know, as we look to add staff here, um, you know, I've been here for a year and a half and, Kind of busting at the seams here at Franklin Bridge, but it's like I keep having thoughts of, of people in my past that have been have said, you know, you don't get into the teaching golf business to make a lot of money. Uh, they're the most profitable of golf instruct of any golf industry personnel. Um, but it's like I hear a lot of people like, oh, I want to get into teaching. Why? Well, because I can make a lot of money. I was like, it's the wrong reason. Don't do it. You're gonna make people worse doing it. Uh, you're not going to be fulfilled doing it because it's a lot of long hours um, and a lot of time. But it's, it's nice to hear that. And I think one of the other cool things is, like, everybody wants their story heard. You know, like, everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got pain. Everybody's got a, a dream they're chasing. Or they've, they've lost inspiration to, to kind of do. So it, I think it's really cool what you're doing is in following those, the, uh, I don't know, kind of bottom of the barrel that people just don't yeah. know about. Like, you don't. oh, well, he's really great. Well, you don't, you don't, you haven't followed the last five years. Like, you haven't, yeah, you
1: haven't I mean, heard the stories. It's, um, one thing I'll say about, about the players that I cover is they don't answer to anyone. And so they tell you the truth all the time. There's no agents, there's no sponsors that are writing them large tracks. They're just grinding their butt off trying to make it to the PGA Tour. So, I mean, I just told Nick Biondi's story. Nick Biondi plays, like, state opens and mini-tour events. I mean, his mom was a crack addict when he was born. His daddy's never met. Uh, his grandpa, who was his hero, has died. Another hero in his life died, and somehow this kid has made made it, like, grinding on the mini-tour. So, like, and like when he told his story, he didn't, like, hold back anything. He's Like, there's no one to answer to. He's just like, hey, I want to tell my story. I want to see if I can help people that have gone through the stuff I've gone through. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – I'm very lucky, for sure. And I'm uh, very appreciative of the players, caddies, wives, girlfriends, brothers that have helped me tell these stories, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I think that's really neat to share that, too, because in in the world of digital media, it it's not so much the – Culture—it's just what digital media does. It's so easy to portray something that we're not, and we all crave authenticity. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why we enjoy this podcast. Like, people just come out, and hang out on the back patio, and ask questions and interact. Like, it's—it's it's one of the highlights of my week every week. I don't get paid to do it. It's just—it's fun to come out here and interact with people, answer their questions, and just share life together. You know.
0: I think it's been a cool thing too. I think Ryan, this is something that um, Scott you and myself have in common in this as well is like, this is a really raw way to show golf, right? And I think it's something where golf also has such a, a stigma around it of being like an elitist sport. Uh, if you're following it from the country club side, or if you are watching it, you know, Thursday through Sunday on the tour, it doesn't really feel like there's a, a you know, like a common man's place in this sport yeah. at all. And so it's really cool to, to sit down and do this podcast, and I'm sure you feel the same with Monday Q, um, to be able to like, tell these stories and to be able, be able to relate, to to be completely honest, the majority of the people who even play golf, period. So um, if, if, if you have any thoughts on that, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what I say every time when people ask is, I think a lot of people, especially the casual golf fan, sees the PGA tour on Sunday and they see a guy getting paid, you know, 55 grand for a T20 or whatever. And that's just like, I mean, what I say all the time is 95% of pro golfers don't have any clue what that feels like. And, and I'm even talking about the bottom. I mean, uh, Scott Harrington, right. Scott Harrington made $500,000 last year, lost his card on the PGA tour Took him 14 years to get there. Like, he flew Southwest every week. His, I mean, like, he stayed in Holiday Inn Expresses. This guy played on the best tour in the entire world, right? Like, it, it's not the glamorous life that people think. Like, you don't make enough. Like, if you're in the top 50, obviously your life is pretty good. But, like, you're in the t- bottom 75 75%, like 75th or below. Your wife doesn't travel with you. That's a bunch of BS that people think. Your kids don't do it. You don't get into every tournament that you want to. So sometimes you're on the road for five or six weeks uh, in a row. Uh, I mean, Callum Taren, who just got his PJ Tour card, will get his one tomorrow. Uh, was, his wife was pregnant back in England. He was on the road for 11 straight weeks. Like, imagine if you have kids not being able to see your wife for two and a half months, almost three months, right? Like, it takes a special group of people, A to B, the family members and B, the players. It's, not, it's just life is not as easy. And I always say this, guys, is like, I'm not asking anyone to feel sorry for these guys. They have chosen this profession. Uh, they could go get a teaching job and be home more often. Not that teaching's easy, just saying they could be home more often. But I'm just trying to give an honest perspective of what pro golf looks like for 95% of guys. It, it is not a glamorous life at all, and you miss a ton, and you sacrifice, and your family sacrifices a ton. Uh, I mean, even a small snippet. It's like I've. I appreciate these guys more and more, but like now I'm chasing stories, and I'm on the road a lot, and and I mean I'm at one twentieth of what one fiftieth of what a PJ tour player is, and I'm missing stuff. I miss like my daughter's in karate, and got her orange belt, and I miss that ceremony. Like, this happens all the time. Miss kids' birthdays and miss wives' birthdays, anniversaries, all that kind of stuff. So I just want to give an honest perspective of what golf looks like because, like you said, it's everybody thinks it's an elitist country club. Everybody's rich. And he, if you're out there or see these guys, it's, it's anything but.
0: Well, dude, we'll have to get you down here to the bridge at some point too because I think if you saw uh, – the culture that our owner Brooks has put forth, uh, so much effort to curate. I mean, you'd come down here, you'd play around, you'd have drinks inside the best food here in Franklin, Tennessee, man. I mean, it would just be so cool to have you down here to kind of see how, what I think is going to be the new culture of golf. Um, and it's only going to grow from here. So, I mean, if you have any, any free weekends, you know, we'd love to have you down and host you.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys. (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
0: We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, One more time, Ryan. Can you uh, shout out where everybody can find you?
1: Yeah, Monday Q info on Twitter, and everything that I do will be on there. Stories and and videos and podcasts will be posted on there. So uh, I appreciate you very much. Having me on, guys.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being here. Well. From us here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, make sure that you come out at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays to come talk me and Scott talk uh, golf with some awesome guests like Ryan here. So um, we love you guys. Thanks so much. As always, you can find Scott on Instagram at shasygolf. You can follow me on Instagram at the underscore jbeard. And uh, stay tuned for more awesome updates here from the Champions Playbook. So uh, from all of us here at Franklin Bridge, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at shassygolf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, As well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So, as always, feel free to come by the back porch of the persimmon pub at 7 p.m. on wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf so book a late afternoon round of golf and then afterwards come on inside get some food some drinks Uh, We got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays, we hope to see you soon,
1: and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.